0: Hello listeners, this is the Eclipse Viewer Podcast, Episode 51, The Documentaries of Louis Maul, Part 3. Uh, Trevor and Keith and I are back to kind of conclude our journey in Maul walking, haha, with uh. the, the Louis Maul, uh, two, two documentaries that Mr. Maul made in the mid-1980s. At least they were released in that, uh, that fabulous decade uh, that lives as a golden moment of recollection for uh, a us gentlemen of a certain age and so here we are uh, three white guys from well i don't know if it's the suburbia usa quite fits do you live in the metro or suburban uh, part of minnesota there keith
1: i live smack dab downtown minneapolis so i guess okay. i'm urban
0: you are urban well i'm suburban and i think trevor you're pretty suburban aren't you
2: well, I have been, but I think I'm mostly country. That's certainly where you're okay, rural. Up. Okay, well
0: then we've got the spectrum covered, folks. <laughs> I guess so. The, the full panoply of uh, white guy America, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is, is here is here on display for your listening edification as we as we uh, conclude a pretty uh, globe spanning journey. Uh, through a series of films that are part of Eclipse Series 2, the documentaries of Louis Mao. These are two films that are set in the USA, uh, each taking kind of a different look at what was happening in uh, our country. I'll just speak for myself. I know We've got some international listeners who are maybe a little bit on the outside looking in and kind of wondering what in the world is going on in America in 2016 as we're very close to turning into 2017. And I'm sure we will get into some contemporary issues as well as we reflect on the uh, significance and the enduring impact of these two movies. But, you know, just to kind of start the conversation off, you know, this feels like a pretty breezy, easy, light lift compared to the, you know, the deeply complex and somewhat overwhelming, uh, you know, Pile of of uh, celluloid that we had to sort through last last week, right? right. So, uh, yeah, Keith, you know, why don't, why don't you tell us what are your thoughts about these two films? Uh, maybe just in a general introductory sense, and we'll get Trevor's thoughts in a minute as well.
1: Well, as a bit of background, and I alluded to this, I think in in part one when we were just kind of discussing what we'd be doing over the next three episodes, um. God's Country for sure. Um, absolutely is a a special film to me. Um, I first saw it about 10 years ago and as I am wont to say with many criterions, you know, I, I watched it with kind of a, a breezy, breezy perspective. Um, watching it mostly, uh, because I am from Minnesota, but watching it twice this week, along with, uh, uh, and the pursuit of happiness, which really seems to have been filmed, uh, probably I'm guessing on the same road trip that he was uh, uh, that he came back to Glencoe, Minnesota for. Um, these these films uh, really strike a chord with me. Um, I'm 51 years old. I was uh, grew up in. Uh, Country, like Trevor said, in the country part of Minnesota, the Glencoe film, or the film film about Glencoe, that's about 50 or 60 miles due west of Minneapolis, and I grew up about 45 miles uh, northeast of Minneapolis, and uh, I certainly couldn't tell the difference. I mean, that town was very similar to the one that I grew up in, so... These, that one especially, you know, really, really hits home and we'll get involved in that. But, um, this, after all the complaining that I did about Louis Mall and his perspectives, his Western perspectives on the, the Indian experience in the late sixties, um, I really, really appreciated, um, his take on, uh, you know, Midwesterners, although we, in Minnesota don't consider ourselves the Midwest. We like to be called the North. Um, very, you know, after, especially after 20 years of um, living with the, with the, uh, the sh- under the shadow of the Coen Brothers movie Fargo, we can be very um, uh, touchy about how we are made fun of in this area of the country. In fact, I do a fair amount of myself I'm living downtown Minneapolis now and not really doing the country experience anymore. Uh, but this this really um, rode a line that, you know, I was watching it, uh, like I said, I've seen it three times, and my girlfriend Maggie and I watched it a third time last night, and there were a few times that we kind of just burst out laughing at some of the peccadillos of the Minnesota people. and. But, what I realized is is that Mall wasn't making fun of them um you know he was he was using his his Parisian perspective to try to kind of figure out what this is all about and as a transplant to America too, you know what he came here for the last decade and a half of his life and you know, married to Candace Bergen, I really think that he loved this country and um to see the the earnestness and the absolute interest that he had in these people was actually quite touching. And uh, I think that rolls into the immigrant experience too. And I'm sure we'll talk about that quite a bit, but that's kind of just my first, first take on these is that that it very well could have ran the risk of making fun of these people, uh, making fun of my people. And I really think that what came across was actually a lot of, respect and love
0: great that nice opening take uh, trevor give us your kind of uh, surface impressions or overall summation uh, we'll, we'll get back to that but yeah what do you think
2: yeah I, I i appreciate hearing how keith responded to it i i knew that you you liked this film or at least that it, it struck a chord with you from past uh, conversations mm-hmm. um, but you know, as someone who can recognize some of what's going on there growing up in a on a country town it, it was a little town in Manan idaho actually there were i remember this the population sign said like four hundred and seventy one um almost the whole Sal- time I was growing Luke. up <laughs> and you a know little I, he- flashback <laughs> for uh, folks who might not know where Keith is coming from there. <laughs> That's that's exactly how it was though, you know? I mean there were there was a, a lot of farming going on um Frankly, I don't know what people did who didn't farm or teach school. <laughs> I just yeah. you know, they, they, I don't know what else there. Oh, there was that one do.
0: insurance agent, that one guy who owned the bank.
2: <laughs> but they didn't. They didn't work in Manan oh, <laughs> because okay, there, yeah. there was no bank in Manan. You had to um, drive into town for that one. You yeah. had to drive into town, which was a, a Rigby, Idaho, which is about seven miles away. That's where I went to high school. And you know, so so a lot of this was familiar to me, but but at the same time, I still was I still felt like an outsider, just because you know th- there are definitely some some differences in the culture. I mean, you know, where I grew up, there's still a lot of white people, a lot of um, white Mormons, you know, so it's uh, religious people, but a different kind of religion, different kind of um, of of culture than than what was going on 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 in God's country in the the film God's country but at the same time um you know some of the things that Mal is is exploring certainly found, I I they resonated with me but I didn't want to I, I still felt a little bit like an outsider if that makes sense Mm-hmm. Um, because it's easy sometimes to just step back and go, well, that that's different than where I grew up. <laughs> um, but I did, I do agree with Keith that it was still very much a, a respect for these people. I mean, I think he, he saw some of it as like, Whoa, there's some, some sadness going on here. There's, I think he's, he does undercut it a little bit. You know, he's got, he's got the people who, who, um, well, there's just some. There are some bad things too. I think in his portrait, oh, yes. some things that he doesn't agree with, and I think we'll we'll get into those um, because they're they're pretty fascinating. Um, and you know, you, you think of the the people thinking that it, it's old to get married at like 20, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and in the background is we've only just begun to live. The the Carpenter song playing at the wedding of this. I think she was 17. You know, we know what the song means. Just the the romance, you know, like because of our relationship, I've only just begun to live. This is what life is all about. But I think Mal knows that he's also saying you're really young. You've only just begun to live, um, and and yet at the same time, I do think that he grew to to love these people. Um, when at the end he goes back uh, six years later and visits them again, you know, I, I felt great going back and seeing them too. You, you care about them. You want them to be doing well, and you're sad when some of them aren't or most of them aren't, and he's he's concerned about their day-to-day struggles because he recognizes that, yeah, it looks like there's not a lot that's going on in these lives. These are simple folk, you know, in quotes. These are These are people who wake up in the morning, go to work, come home, have dinner, you know, watch some TV and, and play with their family. But he digs under that surface so well that you recognize the humanity in each of the individuals that he interviews and, and spends time with. Um, you recognize that there's so much going on under the surface that we sometimes discount uh, you know country folk or um, you know as, as being ignorant, as being you know out of touch, um, all of these different things but mal i think understands especially by the end that that isn't necessarily true maybe they don't um, you know just like any of us don't always know what else is going on in other p- parts of the world and have their own unique perspective on it that can come off as ignorant but they're certainly feeling people they certainly have their own um worries their own joys and their own problems that are caused by the way culture and and politics of the outside kind of creep in and and um, and do their work on the inside of the of the community. Um, but yeah, the, and David, I don't know if we're introducing the both films. To, um, hey we're just talking <laughs> we're just chatting um yeah you know they're, they're maybe i'll i'll just leave it with god's country for now then and i'll i'll leave sure. some other thoughts for and the pursuit of happiness in a bit but yeah, but just right. in in general i love what Mal is doing with these two documentaries um exploring um uh, people that sometimes um you know and i think for for all of us i mean uh, how am I going to say this? I, I don't think any of us, or maybe we recognize the the people in God's country, for example, from from our youth, but maybe not all of us are, are that way. I mean, I I moved away, you know, I, I lived in New York for for a, a long time, and so it, while I'm always going to be from Manan, Idaho, I'm I I'm different, you know, I'm I'm not that person anymore. And when we get to end the pursuit of happiness, you know, I'm, I'm not an immigrant. And so both of these, I, I love what Miles is doing by showing groups of people that maybe most of his viewers aren't a part of and don't always understand. And he does them both with, with a lot of compassion and a lot of respect for, for their life and for the joy of their life. And I, and I loved it. I, I I grew to respect Mal even more with this, um, these two films than I had beforehand. Um, there is so much warmth in each of them. Very nice. Well,
0: yeah. Let's let's back up just a little bit and talk about the context of these two films. I think one is dated eighty five, one eighty six, something like that. Uh, these are two documentaries that Mal produced for uh, you know for public TV. These are more like TV. Uh, features than they are for cinema. And, of course, that was mostly the case in the films we talked about last week, which were Phantom India, uh, a seven-part, six-hour series uh, consisting of footage that he shot uh, during a very extended uh, survey of the uh, Indian uh, subcontinent and and the many different cultures and, and ways of life that he found there. And then he also did another 90-minute feature titled Calcutta, which was distributed theatrically and apparently made to be seen on the big screen. Although, as I said last week, it's this kind of, it all sort of equalizes itself uh, watching it here at home on on DPD. Mm -hmm. These films were kind of, you know, small scale cinema. You know, Mal was, of course. Uh, continuing to make feature films and, and he had had uh, some success and was on his way to more success in the 1980s uh, but you know part of the the charm of these two films to me is just this very you know I mean especially in these uh, criterion-centric circles that that uh, Trevor and Keith and I and many of our listeners travel in I mean here's Louis Mao this you know <laughs> this incredible legend of, of, of cinema and and this great you know filmmaker and and this cultural figure this this dude that we all kind of revere and respect for his own uh, unique achievements uh, going back to you know, uh, his early work with Jacques Cousteau, uh, Elevator to the Gallows, and, you know, kind of all the preliminary stuff that we talked about in the first episode as he kind of came up alongside the uh, French New Wave and was in some ways lumped in with those directors. I mean, here's a man who's kind of a living legend, and uh, now he's out there just kind of bopping around on city streets and neighborhoods and, and you know, uh, you know farm country. He's just interacting with ordinary salt-of-the-earth people You know, quote just like us, you know, and and it's just kind of a kind of an amazing thought that hey, there's Louis Mal and he pulls up alongside an old woman attending to her garden and strikes up a conversation. Uh, just as like he was doing when he was on the streets of Paris in Place de la Republique, and, and running uh, into
1: very few people that he, that recognize him, I'm sure.
0: He, exactly, they're not thinking, "Oh my God, that's Louis Malle." That's you know, mm-hmm. he's like a is a <laughs> peer of Truffaut and Godard and all these you know cool cats uh, you know uh, in the international art house cinema scene. No, he's just. Some crazy Frenchman with a camera. <laughs> Who are these <laughs> other guys? You know, taking our pictures, anyways. And so it is. It's kind of this remarkable uh, interaction that's that's being captured here. Uh, but even though this is roughly, well, actually less than half of the the time in terms of just you know, sheer footage that uh, we had to get through last week, we had like seven and a half hours last week. This is just a little under three hours uh, with these two films combined. There's so much going on here that we probably could have a pretty long conversation if we were to break this down scene by scene and and really wrestle with all the implications of of the bits that uh all assembled in both of these films mm-hmm. so yeah it's 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 quite a it's quite a remarkable collection and and as I've already alluded, this really does speak to some very current contemporary issues that are happening. Politically, here in the United States, and also uh, internationally, with the whole, I uh, you know the whole issue of, of immigration and refugees and and people escaping atrocities and war zones. So, uh, you know, just a you know listener beware. <laughs> we may get a little political as our conversation flows into uh, areas that may not exactly be strictly focused on what we see on these two DVDs, but our thoughts triggered by those. So. Yeah, a lot, a lot to, a lot to meander through here. Uh, hopefully, you'll enjoy listening to the conversation. So let's get into it. Let's, let's talk about God's country. So, Keith, you've already kind of done. Uh, we've actually all done a little bit of opening up of that. But you know, this is, I guess, perhaps the film that hits closest to home. Uh, I can also speak to my own uh, personal connection. I not so much in my personal, my individual family, but I married into a, a family of, of farm folk. Uh, I also watched this with my wife, Julie, a couple nights ago, and, uh, you know, we completely identified, oh, that kind of looks like, you know, our our nephew or our niece, or I could see your brother saying something like that. Or even the landscape of Glencoe, that that one aerial shot uh, from presumably the top of a grain elevator or something like right. that where you see the church spire, the trees, the little country roads, a couple train tracks crossing there. I mean that is absolutely, you know, you know, almost indistinguishable from uh, Caledonia or Dutton, Michigan. Kind of my my wife lived right on the, you know, border between those two agricultural communities uh, here in West Michigan. And also the attitudes uh, expressed uh, by so many of the people both those who were kind of the closeted progressives and those who were the kind of, you know, proud conservatives uh, that kind of uh, ruled the roost out that way. <laughs> so, yeah, so, Keith, give us a little bit more of your, uh, you know, your take on God's country as we just kind of get into uh, this almost happenstance uh, exploration that Mal undertook uh, by, as a result of just pulling alongside and checking out some flowers one afternoon.
1: Very true. Hard to hard to put this all together because um, it's just it's coming at me from so many different directions. Um, so I I grew up in farm country, but we were not farmers. I actually was born in Duluth, Minnesota, in 1965, which is at the time was the the third biggest city in Minnesota after Minneapolis and St. Paul. Mo- did the suburban thing uh, in north of St. Paul for a few years. And then when I was about eight years old, we moved to Princeton, Minnesota, which is a, a very good doppelganger to, to Glencoe, but we were not farmers. Uh, we had 80 acres and they talk about how, you know, 80 acre farms just wouldn't cut it, um, during this time. And I can certainly see that, uh, we rented out our tillable land to a neighbor who, um, you know, plowed the land. And, and so I of worked, you know, it, little, worked the land. Yeah, exactly. there, sure. yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up with looking out the patio door, looking at 40 acres of corn, you know, it's, uh, if you've seen it once, you've seen it a million times. <laughs> and so the overriding feeling that I have on this film is just, as, as we keep saying, and I, I really don't know how to get away from this, uh, aspect of it is just, oh my God, there's neighbor Dwayne. Oh my God! There's another neighbor. You know, it's just a, a type, and I don't, I don't, and I certainly don't mean a stereotype, but I do mean a type of people.
0: So, well, and I think people who who kind of almost relish fulfilling that role. You know, I'm yes, I'm the town yes. banker. I'm the town doctor. I'm the town pharmacist. I'm the guy who uh you know impregnates the cows <laughs> you know everybody kind of has their role and and uh i'm the captain of the softball team i mean whatever it is people sort of thrive on that you know this is my little niche in the system here and of course they don't really use that language but sure you know this is this is my calling this is this is my uh uh you know this is my vocation perhaps is a little bit more of the traditional language you hear out that way
1: I have a friend, uh, not in Princeton, but I have a friend whose first job as a teenager was inseminating turkeys. I mean, it's just, it's it's, it's amazing how this all comes together. And they even talk about sending the pigs to uh, the Hormel plant in Austin. That's where my step-grandfather worked. I mean, he spent 40 years killing pigs, you know. It's, right. So it's, it's, this thing is really of a piece that really, really um, speaks to me. Now... It's interesting because myself I pretty much rejected all of that. I mean I I left farm country as quickly as I could. Uh, I did the I moved back to Duluth. I did the suburban thing and now I live downtown Minneapolis in a in a high-rise condo and I couldn't be happier. This is where I'm supposed to be. But that doesn't mean that um you know that I don't have um love and nostalgia and and empathy for these types of people. And, you know, that, that's why I think, but even if I didn't have that, I mean, this film is so effective at, at, at bringing out people's thoughts and fears and, and, and all of that, that, you know, I, I just, I have to say that, you know, I wouldn't want to have to pick, but if Louis male would have had to pick either being a documentarian or a fiction filmmaker, um, I think I would miss these documentaries more than I would miss his fiction features. I mean, I, I think he really had a a he really had a gift for this, and it, and it's amazing to watch. Yeah, just the, his ability to really connect across the spectrum, and I, again,
0: you contrast this with, again, just speaking for the three of us, people that we're all, you know, feeling pretty connected to, pretty familiar with, can kind of, you know. Oh, this is this character in this film, and is an analog to this person I know in real life. Well, you know, Phantom India, Calcutta; the, those yeah. are people, for the most part, very exotic, very foreign, very distant from our own life experience. And that here's Louis Mao, doesn't even well, he does speak the, some English, and and obviously he he was able to have ongoing conversations, but but he had a a really a global ability to connect with people across this vast spectrum of humanity and that is what kind of makes this whole set uh something quite remarkable and It's really something that i had never really quite grappled with because as i reviewed these films in my you know column on criterion cast i kind of took them all separately and in fact, mm-hmm. i never even got to pandemonium because it was just too overwhelming but yeah i just kind of look them took them all as a single piece but the way this whole set flows together, starting in his native France, uh, in what is literally the most provincial of films, the, the Tour de France, as he's touring the provinces. Right. And then he's he extends his reach to, you know, the other side of the world, and then he comes over to the USA, his his uh, eventual adopted homeland, uh, and... and uh, you know, as Bob Dylan once said, uh, "bringing it all back home," <laughs> and, and so, and so here we are. You know, and Bob Dylan, another proud uh, native Minnesotan there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just quite a, quite a an impressive uh, ability to connect and and really see that common thread of humanity, and and really bring a lot of us into touch with those elements that we all share even as, as foreign and as distant and as alien as the other might seem. And, and certainly we'll get to that as, as well in, in, uh, and the pursuit of happiness, that, that kind of melting pot film that he, that he sums up this collection with.
2: Well, Mm -hmm. uh, let me, let me jump in here really quick, just to talk on, on what you guys are saying about how he just seems to make these connections. Um, because it, I think the reason that stood out so much for me in this film in and uh, God's Country is because you can almost see it happening as he drives up into town, meets the old woman on the side of the road who's doing her gardening still. I think she's like 85 at the time. Um, I, I think that because I know that when he goes back, 6 years later i think she's you know she's still out on the road she's still doing it yep. he's and he's thrilled to see her and i think she says she's 91 at that point um but you know he he strolls into town doesn't know anybody kind of just starts talking and you can hear it in his voice he's just he's he's very warm he's he's very approachable um he's very kind but he's he's you know he he's got their walls up around him a little bit. I mean the people are nice to him as well, but they're they're aware that he's an outsider. Um, he goes to the fair and you know people talk to him, but there's just a difference in the way that they're looking at him um, at that time. And I think in the in the tone of the camera or uh, of the the whole film, um, he goes to that young couple's home. You know the the young farmer and the young wife. And, man, I, I thought she hated him at first.
0: <laughs> well, they're German. He's French. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She
2: may have. But she seems so like, what are you doing in my house? What is going on here? And then he, then he talks to her, and she just opens up. And you see in her someone who who's got this shield in a way. Or at least culturally, doesn't feel like it's her place to talk at that moment, or doesn't have a lot to say. She's she's a little bit wary. Um, but she's probably going to have up.
0: words with her husband. Is like she Why might. Did you let Why did she
2: bring him house? here? <laughs> and the husband could you know is quite different. He's he's very open and warm from the get go. It seems, but but Mal just kind of starts to to become part of the community in a way. Because I think they do start to trust and accept him. And and you see that on film, which is is actually really quite beautiful. And and I didn't see it right at first. Um, You know, I kept the perspective of an outsider and Mal being an outsider for quite a while. And the film almost seemed subversive about, you know, quote, God's country. You know, here are a lot of people who proclaim their happiness, go to the fair, they, you know, they love their softball games. And they're proud to talk about what's that? They're They're lawn (laughs) mowers. They're lawn mowers, (laughs) yep. And they're proud to talk about this stuff. And then Mal almost subverts it all by going and showing you some of the old people who are like the bitter old man who just wants to be in a graveyard. And then you get the rest home and you see these old people just sitting there staring, you know, um, not yeah, responding. Yeah, he, it's a very quiet part of the film. He's just really there with his camera on an old person sitting there for quite some time. Right.
0: He he pivots from kind of the smug wink, wink, ha ha, look at these yokels You humor where he could have really plowed that you know you know not no no pun intended there but he could have really gone (laughs) down that road but no he he gets to the humanity pretty pretty quickly i mean so there's a few chuckles perhaps at some of these these rubes but yeah but he doesn't linger there and i think he actually kind of moves into more of an appreciation for just hey these are real people these are not just kind of Hicks to, you know, poke fun at. Uh, yeah, yeah. Their, their their pleasures are simple and and they're not necessarily the most complex of intellectuals. But you know what? Those complex intellectuals have their own kind of hang-ups and blind spots as well. So let's just be people.
2: Well, That's, well, I that's not how I saw it the first time. I, I was reading that part as him almost saying, this isn't happiness, folks. You're not finding it. You know, this is God's country. We'll we'll look at your old people. Look at this bitter old man who just wants to be in the graveyard. You know, he he it, he didn't find it in, in this life. In this in but this. But what community. about the
0: bitter old people in Plaster uh, Republic? Uh, no, I, I, never, I agree. You... <laughs> I, but yeah, but that's yeah, what I mean.
2: Right. I I saw it that way, and only afterwards did I realize no, that's what you said there about him actually showing the humanity. That clicked with me, and I realized you're right. He isn't showing that this is an empty life. He's showing this is a complex life, and and these people are even though they're on the surface showing this, this. Um, well, I love to come here. You know, I like to let my guard down and have a few beers. Even though they're showing this, and it can look so simple, he's not. Sh- he he's found a way to show. That it is complex, and that there's a wealth of of feeling with these people, that they are experiencing a life um, that's rich and that has all kinds of tones to it. Because he shows happy older folks as well, like the old woman on the side of the road, you know. So it took me a little bit to to start to trust Mal as well. And but when I did, I realized, wow. And that's that's really what I want—almost a reverence to what he did here. Because so I find saying, it so touching. Yeah. I so, find so, so, so it so is, humane.
0: So this is like my dinner with Andre at the local dairy queen.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is, I, I, and that, that's one of my favorite films, by the way. But but it is. He's able to to kind of dig under these things. I don't know how he does it, um, but it, it's it's pretty remarkable.
1: Well, this is Minnesota, so it would be my dinner with Lester Knutson. But <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, Keith. I think I just uh, rolled right over you there for a second. Oh, uh, that's fine. Oh, We're uh, just I was, talking.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with everything that you're saying, but I would also caution that um, you know, as as strong of a presence as Louis Maul is in this, I would be I would caution as uh, ascribing a lot of purpose to some of what he's doing as opposed to just your perception of, of these people, because, you know, David just said a few minutes ago that, you know, he, he moved on from the ha ha look at these yokels, And from my perspective, I never saw it that way. So, you know, it's, it's, this is definitely one of those films where the, what you bring to it has a lot to do with um, the flavor of how it comes out. Um, and then also good point. Yeah. Yeah. If if we, and then also with, and I agree with everything you're saying about the farm wife and I'm looking at it right here, um, you know, being a little reticent at first and, you know, maybe not willing to talk to the foreigner and all of that, but also don't discount just the power of the camera. I mean, this is, this may be the first time she's ever had a camera put in her face and that's, that's going to affect that quite a bit as well
2: oh sh- surely and and probably the first time she's had a frenchman in her in her home as well this is all all i would be that way you know sure. i got to be honest if 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 someone just showed up in in my home that my wife invited i'd be i would be in- interested i wouldn't leave the room but i would just kind of sit there and wait for them to come
0: to me. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know? sure. Well, uh, I mean, her life has been about just bringing up these children and putting a meal on the table and helping her out around the farm, and all of a sudden she's being called to kind of give a little bit of an explanation <laughs> of it all for uh, the consumption of uh, public TV watchers, you know, uh, across the country and around the world. It's it's a little bit overwhelming if you sit and think about it for a minute. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, we also get into some some issues of, I kind of, I guess, political significance as as Mao kind of burrows deeper into the plight of the farmer and the the working man, uh, who's really is trying to sustain a tradition of of earning his daily bread through the uh, toil and tillage of the fields, and and we meet some people who are, you know. In various ways, making their living off of that. Whether they're, you know, like the the guys working the fields, you know, thinking that that kid driving the big tractor and these traditions that have been passed on along generations, or, or if you're a little bit more on the capitalist end of things, where you're kind of investing money and and selling goods and and kind of uh, profiting off of the, you know, the exchange of of resources that that take place at the agricultural level. Uh, you know, Mal, just because of the circumstances and coincidences of time and fate and all of that, uh, is, is capturing uh, a very transitional moment in the, the American economy. Uh, you know, that, that young farm family that we've been talking about uh, really was kind of the end of the line in, in many ways. Uh, the, you know, we, we go back, you know, several years later and we see that that family is really struggling and even in in uh, 79 when the first section of the film was created the young man was saying that you know a lot of his peers even guys younger than him they can't get the loans that the the banks kind of see that the end end coming They, they see the doom that's on the horizon and even though nobody was exactly publicizing it majorly by 1985 of course uh you know, the small family farm was was really an endangered species, and of course, you think about a little bit later down the line of history, and John Mellencamp's Scarecrow album, and Farm mm-hmm. Aid, and and that whole uh, realization that you know, just just getting your eighty acres and and raising crops and milking cows and and uh, you know, raising pigs or whatever, you know, as as affectionate uh, as as we might feel towards that whole enterprise, it's just no longer sustainable because we can get our milk and bacon and corn from other sources that are much more corporate, much less personal and, uh, you know, and cheaper. And so now all of a sudden you've got this crisis going on uh, within the salt of the earth uh, population that, that kind of fills that that vast heartland of America and, and people are really struggling with it and and you know that that struggle has kind of been roiling under the surface and and uh, even within our most recent you know a political election you know, this whole you know plight of the white working class and all of that uh with both of its legitimate grievances and also some of the the, the prejudice and some of the presumptions of entitlement that that you know our folks need to be taken care of and if we're not getting taken care of and the whole system sucks and we need to blow it up and start over from scratch or whatever, you know, those, those, those elements of, of nativism and, and xenophobia and, and, uh, even conspiracy theory thinking, I mean, all that stuff has really continued to play itself out. And, and, uh, even as we wrap up this year and look ahead to what's going to happen, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, weeks, months, years ahead, You know, this film, God's Country, just is kind of an an eye-opener as it it really sheds a light on the roots of a lot of the issues that we're dealing with every time we log in and check out what's happening in the news and what's happening in politics and what's happening in the economy. And that's pretty remarkable for a film that's, you know, 30 years old now and and is based largely on content that's even older than that. So. Yeah, let's talk about some of the uh, current implications of what we see in this uh, in this film here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the old pregnant pause. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to hear what Keith had to say first. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I guess that's uh, that's your cue, Keith. Uh, Damn it. What do you think? Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well. It, it, well, I
0: will say Minnesota stayed blue. I'll give them that.
1: <laughs> barely, barely. You know, that that's it's been quite a quiet quite an eye opener uh here locally as well to see how pretty darn purple we turned in this election. Yeah. And, you know, remember back at the time of this when this uh film came out, the second part, you know, they talk about being, you know, there was the I forget her name the the woman on city council who writes the plays I mean you know she talks about probably being the only republican in town that voted for McGovern in 72 and you know she talked about how Glencoe is proudly republican and that this you know this second part of God's country took place a year after the second Reagan um and uh election and yeah, which was know, a min- massive Minnesota slide right right yeah Minnesota was no, Minnesota and DC were the only blue spots on the map so that's amazing you know even yeah. though as a state we are have uh, historically been very very blue um, that is pretty much been surrounded in the you know the Minneapolis St Paul area which is about 2.2 million people and even in those older days in the iron range up by Duluth and where Bob Dylan was from and all that that you know the the iron country that used to be very very blue and just as long along with the rest of the country that area has flipped red so you know it it Minnesota has a very interesting dichotomy I mean you talk about you know Pennsylvania being the state where the only way it can go blue is in you know the Philadelphia area it's very similar here in Minnesota with uh, the Twin Cities area being that same way. Um, This kind of, this kind of made me think about some things that I've effectively been pushing to the back of my mind since the election. Um, I'll be very honest. I, you know, I'm a member of your of your other Facebook group, David, where you talk about the, the, the bigger picture of what's happening and what's going to be happening.
0: Yeah, I'll just but plug have, that a quick second. Yeah, uh, it's please. called Living in Trump-topia. So if you <laughs> want to check it out and hear more of my unvarnished political thoughts, Living in Trump uh, hyphen-topia. So uh, look know, it up, I, and, and I'll be happy to join
2: you. I, I really <laughs> should join that. I didn't because, at first, I was like, I don't want anyone to think that I'm – in a group that has a positive name for Trump. I know that's not the purpose. <laughs> well, nor, <laughs> nor is
0: it a purely slam Trump group either. I, I, yeah. I do want to say I, it's no, yeah. let's very thoughtful. It's all cope with this new reality and figure I, out what's going on.
2: And I think I'm getting ready to 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 um, open my eyes again <laughs> after what happened, uh, I think I'm I'm finally I'm finally ready to to start engaging in that kind of stuff again. I was I kind of put myself under a rock for a while, just kind of like okay, I can't can't deal with this for a bit. Um, so I think I'm ready to join your group, David.
1: Well, I still consider myself somewhat under the rock. Um, you know, I have not contributed to David's group. I'm certainly reading a, a fair amount of it. Um, so all by way of saying that this movie um really has kind of forced me to to start thinking about the implications of this and not just being bruised personally and also scared from a uh my side of the aisle type um uh, perspective um but this this microcosm or macrocosm almost of of country folk and how they have become certainly more uh, conservative over time. I mean, in Minnesota, we have we don't have the Democratic Party. We have the Democrat Farmer Labor Party, the DFL. They merged years ago because they were both, um, you know, left of the aisle. And I, especially watching this movie and just the things that I see and when I go visit family, um, you know, uh, northwest of where I live, Um you know, I don't see where the farmer labor party is in any way, um, uh, affiliated with the Democrat party anymore. So, um, I'm kind of rambling here, but I just, this, this movie just really, really, um, has forced me to really start thinking about those things again. Um, and it's probably a good exercise. Yeah,
0: I mean, you, you know, and there's even some throwbacks to some of the, uh, you know, more radical activism. Uh, there's a son involved. He's never really present on camera, but his parents are talking about some of his uh, anti-war activism back in the Nixon years. And so, you know, again, we're reminded of just how how complex and how, you know, uh, nuanced these folks are. I mean, that woman you mentioned who was a... You know, Republican who voted for McGovern. She wasn't just a Republican; she was like one of the party heads. Yes, and it's amazing in 1972 to to just kind of passively back Nixon and vote against McGovern, uh, or not even give McGovern a serious thought was was you know almost you know standard par for the course because you know who would who would vote for that you know crazy radical you know peacenik and all of that, but. Obviously, these people think deeply. They take their responsibilities seriously as civic leaders. And even though they know that perhaps they're just one small drop in the ocean of the voters that are out there, uh, they can still speak at length and with some passion about the importance of the values that they represent. And so, yeah, I mean, God's country really just, you know, it takes us into so many different directions, both the whimsical, you know, the local you know, kind of amateur theater productions. The kind of incredibly schmaltzy wedding. I mean, what do you think of those bridesmaid gowns? <laughs> I mean, my <laughs> wife, who's a professional floral designer, uh, she's just always got an eye for that stuff. And it's just like these were just kind of like women dressed as wedding cakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, and so, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of you know humor to be found here. This is not some grim take on the you know the the uh you know the collapse of rural America. I mean there's a lot of life, there's a lot of vibrancy going on here, but at the same time, um, uh, you know, all is not well in, in God's Little Acre. And and uh
1: Well I think you, know, you mentioned it yeah. in your in your uh your uh excuse me your reflections review of five or six years ago where you talk about um you know when he came back in eighty five and the one farmer who you know, pretty eloquently, you know, put it out there that, you know, basically saying, why is everybody around here so gung-ho on Reagan? Well, look at what Reagan has done to That was so area. amazing to hear
0: yeah. because, you know, you, you look at that guy now and you just sort of see him as, you know, kind of Mr., you know, pro-Trump Trump. Uh, Tea party, you know, right. constitutional conservative type of guy. And he's kind of tearing Reagan a new one here, you know. And it's like, boy, you know, perspectives have changed because of course now Saint Ronnie is as you know, unquestionable as as the uh, as the as the leader of what you know, when they say make America great again, I mean I've always sort of seen that as code for like right. let's get back to Reaganomics and and uh and just that whole you know, kind of, you know, flying eagle and you know, mentality, uh kind of conveniently bypassing the same thing that happened when both of the Bushes were in the White House. Well I'll uh, be a little so, yeah. unfair
1: here I'll be a little unfair here and just kinda of draw out the stereotype, but I mean I, I think a a scenario can be put out there pretty clearly that if not this specific gentleman, but at least people like him you know, now, 30 years later, if you think about him, he, in my mind, he's a 75-year-old guy who is a pro-Trumper who waxes nostalgic about the Reagan era and doesn't even remember the things that he said at that time on this right. piece of film.
0: Right. The the, the perspectives yeah. have shifted. And, and I'm sure once we settle into this new era of Trump in power, there will be the conservatives who will come out and say, well, yeah, Trump's not a real conservative, and well, if we only had somebody who really stuck to our principles, you know, then, then <laughs> everything would be great, and we'd go through that whole endless cycle again. Talk about, you know, endless eons of time as we, you know, reflect on the, the, the Hindu cosmology <laughs> from Phantom India. Well, yeah. <laughs> we have our own kind of version of that over here in the USA.
2: Uh, well, this is one place where I was kind of an outsider because I grew up, like you say, in Idaho. It's been, it's been Republican forever, and now I live in Utah after moving away. And it's you know even in a year where people thought, oh, maybe there's a chance, it won't. No, it was hugely for Trump. Um, you know, it, it's. But I but I see a lot of these same things you guys are talking about here. But I didn't ever know a farmer who was against Reagan. Certainly, they never talked to me about it, <laughs> and I and I really don't know if they they were anywhere up there. Um, but I think that a lot of these these issues again um, they're so familiar to today because the, the the threats that these folks see to their community. You know, you you have the one a young woman who's in her twenties who feels confined by her culture there. Um, She doesn't want to necessarily get married. She sleeps with whoever she wants to sleep with and is pretty open about being uh, looked down on in, in her, in her community. And she, when he goes back in, in 85, She's gone, you know, she's, she's gone to Florida and I think you, while Mal wishes her well, you can kind of get a sense that a lot of the people thought, well, good, that, that was, that wasn't for us. You
0: know, she she's was just not one of us. She doesn't yeah. really fit in here.
2: And and she was one who, who, who spoke to him about, you know, the gay community. There is no gay community here, not because there aren't gay people, but because they, 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 they they just simply can be no gay community here. Um, you know, they talk about uh, blacks and the farmer is pretty open. Well, people just don't like him. And I've never heard anyone who went to Vietnam and served in the service who did. So, you know, he has no idea what he's talking about as far as any personal relationship with a black person. He's just speaking um, off the cuff and and spreading things he's heard from others who have had, you know, a right. slight relationship and so they see these things as 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 threats to their way of life, and Mel does a good job of getting into those little rifts, you know even in this particular community you've got the 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 German segment, which is the majority like eighty percent or something um but you've got the others as well, and I can't remember what they are i mean there's no no synagogue, it's not a Jewish contingent, it's still a, you know Catholic or Protestant kind of thing. Um, but even in, within the community, you've got your minority, which would look like a majority anywhere else. Um, well, not anywhere else. There are plenty of communities like this, but you know, on the outside wouldn't look, um, you know, they're, they're white, um, white Christians. Um, and Mal does a good job of getting into those rifts that will, will come to bear, but, but, um. You know, their their big their big worries are what could come from the outside and how is that going to disrupt our economy? And they are starting to to suggest that it. You know, so a few of them might recognize that it's policy, but I think a lot of them think that it's morals and decay and outsiders coming in and and taking over and that kind of stuff. You can you can see that in 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 the shadows, or sometimes not even in the shadows, in the bright sunlight in this film and again pretty uh, pretty amazingly because i don't think that mal you know bought into any of this but mal still gives them a chance to talk and still gives them um respect and warmth because again i think he sees he sees more in these people as the as the film goes on and may not agree with them but just comes to say hey Appreciate your perspective. I know you're. I know you're sometimes in pain, and I want to. I want to validate that, even if I don't agree with you about the the reasons or or anything like that. I think he, he does a great job of, of of just getting into them. You know, having them speak.
1: Well, yeah. I, I, well, go ahead. Well,
0: I, I know. I I was just going to say you know, we probably should start moving on to uh, pursuit of happiness, but. What, what he also does is is just makes a very nice kind of organic flow to the film itself i mean as i 've kind of rewatched it a time or two in the last week now i 'm just i 'm just quite impressed by how one scene sort of leads to the other this isn 't just kind of a random hodgepodge which in some ways Phantom India kind of felt like that just because he 's covering so much territory and he 's just kind of putting pieces together i mean each each episode has its own sort of thematic unity but it 's like you know you would just meet one character uh you know the you know the you know you have the the republican woman who writes the plays and then you meet the actors in the plays, and the guy happens to be the, the the you know the the cow inseminator and then you get into you know the 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 agriculture and it's just you know it is just kind of this seamless little tour of uh, of small town u s a which i think even to a lot of its contemporary viewers especially that you know the the stereotypical p b s uh viewer might be you know folks who are a little bit out of touch or maybe have some roots in that territory but maybe haven't you know gotten the big picture of what's happening out in the heartland uh it just it's just quite impressive as how it continues to stir up resonant themes for uh you know for twenty sixteen
1: well, before Thoughts? we move on, before we move on, I would like to say that you know I, I did some research on this, and and I am just, I am, I, I have such a need to find some information on you know even in the last 20, 10, 15 years, if somebody's done a "Where Are They Now" article, I mean, I feel like driving out to Glencoe today and just driving <laughs> around and saying, oh, yeah, well, I guess yeah. I don't see anybody, but you know, I would love it if you did. Yeah, I might have to do it. A lot of snow on the ground today, but yeah, um,
0: may, maybe late, wait till it warms up. But, yeah, but, exactly. Uh, do a little little uh, spring summer road trip and take some photos. That'd be kind of fascinating. To uh, I'll compare. do that.
1: I'll do that. You know, because you know, I Maggie looked at me last night when Jean was done talking, and she said, "You got a crush on Jean." I said, "Yeah, I do." Um, <laughs> it, you know, I would love to know what her life is like if she's still around, or if she's, you know, what she's doing in Florida. Um, you know, the other thing that we mentioned, you know, we were talking about. You know how surprising it was that you know they have these opinions on blacks and Jewish people on how nobody likes them, and I jokingly said, "Yeah, and if I ever meet one, I'll I'll let you know." But uh, I mean that it. Oh, you know the the thing is, you know I did a little research on Glencoe today, and it's you know it's much different. Um, Western Minnesota is. has a, a fairly large Latino population. I, I think I read that Glencoe is now 15% Latino, which is, you know, if you look at the people in this film from 30 years ago, I'm sure that was an adjustment. Um, that part of the state, although not Glencoe specifically, but you know, the Southwestern part of Minnesota has a lot of agriculture. Green giant is down there, bird's eye, uh, Tyson chicken. So there's a lot of uh, low-wage manufacturing jobs in that area. So I think that things have um, turned around pretty transformatively. And yeah, I think I better get out there and just check it out.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a kind of a nice segue, if you will, about the uh, increasing cultural diversity. Sure. Uh, I mean, kind of bringing it over my way in Michigan, you know, there's a in a fairly prominent town, a city called Holland, Michigan, which you know, Holland—I mean the Netherlands, right? Uh, which is you know they still have the tulip festival, and there's windmills, and there's Hope College. But you know that's also a very uh, Latino-heavy community nowadays because there's a lot of farms in the surrounding areas, and and it's just an urban center that has been diversified over the course of time, and so yeah, the the presumptions about uh, what God's country once was and and now is in the minds of the its kind of inhabitants and even the people who are in positions of influence and authority, uh, they've had to cope with the fact that we're just not the same homogenous society or if you had those, you know, that small scattering of, you know, minorities of various sorts, uh, you just sort of, you know, relegated them to their little niches in the community uh we really do have to learn how to live with each other and 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 hopefully find the positives and the strengths and all of that as well and that's kind of where uh the the second film in this set uh in the, in today's discussion uh comes at us uh, and the pursuit of happiness is Mal's uh meditation on the united states of america as a destination for people from all different cultures from all over the world Uh, some from neighboring countries. There's a pretty extended piece on on Mexicans and and Central Americans coming up through the southern borders, but also people coming from uh, across the oceans to find a new home, to build a new life, and to, you know, both assimilate into our culture but also to bring their culture into this larger picture of what it means to be a good old American. So. Trevor I'll give you kind of the the lead in on this one uh and the pursuit of happiness uh what are some of your opening thoughts on this uh you know well uh, upon this film
2: well um so as you said this is a a really interesting film about the immigrant experience and and people coming to America looking for well happiness as the title says, and they're various um I mean Miles doesn't just go to like one community here. And get that perspective. Uh, he is talking to Asian, an Asian doctor who lives, I think, in Minnesota. Is that right? Nebraska, uh, West, Western oh, it was, it Nebraska. Nebraska, not oh, even okay. Lincoln,
0: but out in the real yeah, he's out parts, in the right?
2: country um, and doesn't want to leave it. Um, you've got, you know, you've got immigrants from Mexico coming into San Diego. You've, you've got Derek Walcott speaking. He's um, from the West Indies. You've got well, just just a whole um, kind of spectrum of Astronauts the society here. Astronauts yeah. yeah, and, and actors. They're doing, yeah, some right. of them are doing well; others aren't. You know, and and I, I I love the end, which we can talk about a little bit more, where he shows a black woman from Trenton, who has Trenton, New Jersey, who has um, become a lead singer of a Russian in a Russian like group band yeah. um, that performs in Russian and for, for the Russian immigrant uh, community. It's it's just an interesting, here comes assimilation in reverse as Mal, Mal puts it. My, my, I, I did really enjoy this film, but I will say that I don't have as much to say about it and, and maybe didn't enjoy it as much because it is such a, a big spectrum. I didn't quite get other than just, Hey, here's, here's a big, uh, you know, Here's here's a kind of a cross section of society and I'm gonna focus on the immigrants and I and I did like it by its pieces. I didn't ever get kind of that central gelling um kind of through line other yeah, than this what is, we've this already is, talked
0: about. It's more of a hodgepodge, just kind yeah. of let's throw it together and let it sort of draw its own conclusions. But yeah, as a yeah. as a crafted piece of filmmaking, I think God's country is clearly a cut or two above this one because it really does feel like a a comprehensive essay. I mean, you know, in that film, Mao really goes into the homes of people. He really gets kind of intimate and there are some intimate conversations in the pursuit of happiness as well. And there are some intimate conversations in you know, Phantom India and Calcutta too, but God's country sort of has a cohesiveness that these other films don't quite deliver yeah. but you know they are what they are and i think there's a lot of value and content yeah here.
2: yeah i don't want to, to necessarily dismiss them because that's not because i agree this feels a little bit more like phantom india where you're going from place to place um and yeah digging in deep on certain things but then mal is is, is a little bit more speedy in, in in this film he he doesn't let the camera linger quite as long you don't get like the rest home sequence where he's just kind of watching these people for a while and you certainly don't get anything like we got in the automotive factory in, in France. Um, well, the topic is too
1: big, right? I mean, it uh, is, it's, it's, yeah. it's,
2: huge. And so I think that that does, it, it did make it so that I was able to, to kind of skim along the surface as well, and even though it 's talking about some pretty you know interesting stuff what is what is this democracy to you do you do you like capitalism, even though it does have some ways of pushing you down? Um, is it better than what you 've come from and you do get the some interesting episodes like the the guy from Uh, Mexico, who's like, you know, he's been caught this time crossing the border and he's getting a a, a very friendly and cordial conversation with um, kind of the head of the border patrol there. And just like, yep, I'll be coming across again tonight, (laughs) you know, when you, when you drop me off at my bus, I'll be, I'll be going across tonight. Just very open about it. And the agent
0: who's ready to play that game with them because, hey, that's just, that's my paycheck, (laughs) you know, this is what we do. It's like, it's like the coyote and and the roadrunner or something like (laughs) that. And both of them know they're
2: on camera. So they're they're, you know, they're their stating positions while being very cordial (laughs) and almost friendly to each other, you know, so you do get some great episodes where you kind of delve in. Um, But again, I I have uh, less to say about it because it showed so much more, I think, if that makes any sense.
1: Well, it's showed so much more of a type, Uh, you know, I, I think the one area that this kind of struck me as I was, Heading to bed last night after watching it for a third time, and uh, it, it struck me. And this is not a, a black and black and white issue, um, but I just had this sense that so much of the film was showing what immigrants can contribute and what they can bring to this society, you know. And you saw that with uh, the Asians. And the Indians and and Asian Indians and, and all of that. but I was struck by the fact that, in, unless you can correct me, they didn't show any of that positiveness with the Mexicans. They, you know it's almost like Maul fell into the trap of showing only the border problems with with you know the Mexican immigration experience. I, I didn't see, or I don't remember seeing a lot of, here's what Mexicans bring to American culture. Uh,
0: yeah, no, they, they, they're they the cheap migrant farm labor, you know, 40 cents a bucket for picking green tomatoes and that kind right, of thing. Right. And, and and then the little gamesmanship of at the border. So, you know, and that, that, is, that is a pretty remarkable omission. And, you know, I, I don't know if there was a particular agenda he was pursuing there or just you know, focusing his attention on this whole matter of, uh, you know, the the security issues surrounding the border. And again, I go back to, (laughs) you know, the recent uh, election and all of Mm -hmm. the, you know, uh, all the tumult stirred up by that particular issue. And it it honestly was a bit infuriating for me to sit and watch this movie and listen to people very informed on this issue talking uh, with, you know, a lot of experiential knowledge and expertise on the topic. And it's like, man, this has been like 30 plus years. And it's like, we're at this complete static. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's it frustrating either. Yeah. Exactly. And and r- exactly. But, it, but it's very frustrating that no, you know, effective action seems to have been taken to alleviate these these tensions, I mean, it's, it's like mm-hmm. we are completely stuck in this historic moment that's lasted for decades. And again, you know, I, I am I am much more of a an open border. Hey, if people want to live here, let them move in. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I you know I don't really have problems with that, or feel like we need to. You know, well, I completely oppose the idea of building that wall. Um, but I and so so you know, I just don't have any of that what i consider xenophobic attitude towards people from other countries other parts of the world who want to come and live here i, I you know a lot of you know my ancestors and a lot of the people that I have you know considered themselves you know the real america well you know they their ancestors and maybe even the, some of them themselves came through means that were pretty open like yeah just come on in whether you're a a cuban refugee fleeing uh, the castro revolution or, if you are you know somebody who migrated back in the you know eighteen hundreds or earlier part of the twentieth century where you know the 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 rules were considerably more lenient and you had connections and people kind of sponsored you brought you over, and you got in without a whole lot of hassle well you know if there's opportunities here you know let's let's not underestimate the you know the incredible sacrifice and and hardship that that almost anybody has to go through to say i'm going to leave my home area my, my home country my culture and start over in a new place i mean there are many many millions of people who have done that but that doesn't really diminish the significance or the strenuous <laughs> changes that that people have to go through in order to make that that happen somewhat successfully and so this film i think brings that into our focus, and and for those like myself who've only lived and you know were born in the United States and maybe take it for granted, to me this is a, a wonderful exercise, and just really being able to hear the stories of a lot of people who came from many different walks of life and say, you know what, whether I wanted to or whether I had to, uh, I'm here in the USA now, and I'm going to make something good happen with this opportunity. And uh, and in that process, my life, speaking for myself personally, has been enriched just because the USA is a, a unique kind of, you know, cultural and social and historic uh, political phenomenon. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to be informed by people from, you know, literally all over the world to, to make up the very culture that – that uh you know has raised and sustained me, so this film is kind of like a, a prism that captures so much of that again it's it's a particular point and place in place and time or many places but uh it, it it's a snapshot that I think still speaks pretty effectively you know uh, here in the 21st century
2: no i I agree with you there it, 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 this I imagine you could get a lot of the same. General footage and experiences and conversations today—you um, know there'd be some different uh, details. We've got Trump in his wall now, um, and uh, you know it's 30 years later. But but uh, really, a lot of this stuff I'm sure is is very similar. You could get the same stuff today if you went out and did a similar documentary. Um, right. There's
0: there's certainly a nice kind of mid-80s time capsule effect here, even if it's just yeah. the packaging yeah. and the fashions and the, you know, kind of the funkiness of uh, sort of a lower tech era, <laughs> which a lot of <laughs> us have fond memories of. And yes. so there's that. But uh, but you're right, a lot of those attitudes. And I guess, you know, it, it, it's somewhat discouraging to me to, to realize that there's still such a, you know, kind of an inbred hostility and anxiety about immigration um, that That really does seem to influence so, so many people uh, impl- well you can including see people that in, near and dear to me right
2: mm-hmm. in 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 the last film in god 's country um, if If there was a community of immigrants, who thought let 's go to Glencoe and help on these farms, and they probably did have you know immigrants working on them. I mean where I grew up in Idaho, yeah, the people you see on the street um, and around town. Aren't the immigrants? But then you go into the farms and you see them all over the place um, because that's that's where they're working and the farmers actually depend on it. To you know, that's what they say. That's what their 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 idea is. And the Um, laborers
0: are kind of living in trailers out on the fringes of the fields. Yes, exactly. They have
2: their 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 little communities. I mean, just a block away from where I lived, there was um, kind of a a large trailer park of of um, Mexican immigrants. And I I only saw him when I walked past the entrance you know it was it's a little bizarre to me today to think back on that I've thought about it a few times thought well I missed some opportunities there um, to reach out and to get to know some an interesting segment of my own town um, but you know you see it in in God's country that they you know they 're not going to welcome this these these changes, and especially someone who comes in and isn 't just a farmer but i 'm going to be the town doctor <laughs> you know uh-huh. um, they 're not going to to go for that they 're going to think that 's a threat, and we talked about that a little bit uh, um with the last one. But, but because of that, I think these two films go quite nicely together to give that perspective of here's America in quotes from people who have been here for a while. I mean, tons of the folks in that uh, other film were German, uh, German ancestry. So they had their immigrant past, but they'd been here for a while and they'd established a culture in a certain place. and, they're not going to want the change that's going to come from someone else coming in to seek similar opportunities or similar, similar chances. I I would, but I was heartened to see um, so many of these immigrants doing well in small communities. I think of that doctor in in Nebraska. You know, he yeah, a
0: Vietnamese. I mean, who would you know? Vietnamese, of course, have been the yeah. the, the war theater in, in very recent memory for people who were watching this film originally, and and of course the Vietnamese community in the United States has has become kind of a thriving uh, subculture. I mean, one of my son's best friends is is uh, you know, Vietnamese, and uh, you know he went to University of Michigan as an engineering student, and he was kind of like the the token white kid resident of Michigan in his dorms because so many of these engineering students that he was you know studying alongside <laughs> were like from. Pakistan and Africa and China and you know, Bangladesh, India, I mean, Southeast Asia, all all around. And so it's like, yeah, I mean, our our lives have been really been enriched by by the contributions of you know what at one point was kind of our mortal enemy, our our you know be like well, and and then you know even the, even the issues right now with Syrian refugees and the atrocities going on over there, uh, Iraqis. I mean, people that um, are geopolitical leadership has impacted their lives in very substantial real ways you know what kind of an obligation do we we even owe these people for saying you know what our you know our meddling in your region has kind of created the conditions that have led to you know chaos and horror and destruction of your own community so yes you know let's take some of you in i mean to me i feel there is a moral responsibility uh that that kind of comes with you know if we're going to exploit these territories for whatever advantage uh they provide to our economy or our geopolitical influence we do owe something to these people uh who've been displaced and so yeah i do feel like there's a moral ethical uh, issue at stake here and again this this movie kind of speaks to some of that as well
1: yeah, it does. And it, it's striking for me that I, I, I realized after watching, you know, both of these movies in quick succession that myself, I, I didn't grow up with, you know, any sort of a, assimilation like this. I mean, I, you know, Princeton, Minnesota was extremely, extremely white. And, um, you know, we had two black families in town. One of them, one of them, his dad played for the Denver Broncos and the other one, you know, his dad was on the morning news in Minneapolis. So, you know, even with that, we had, we didn't have the, the standard experience of, of having, um, uh, we didn't have the standard experience of having uh, um, minorities in town. so Not,
0: not a community of, of, yeah, exactly. of black None. citizens yep. or Mexicans or whoever, right? Either, mm-hmm. Or of any nationality, any any ethnicity. They were just kind of like those unique people, those individuals that right. happened to be here, right?
2: Right, right. Well, and that can almost color your impression even more because you can go, there, there are some who have risen above what you would expect, it, you know, if, if that makes sense, I don't, I don't, I mean that in a right. that's part of the downside of, of not getting to know a community is that you kind of can can look at well, we're okay with these um, black people living in well, town. Look right. how it's, well they've done. They're kind of like us in a way.
0: It, it's a it's a form of tokenism. You know, they're yeah. well, one of the good ones, and you know, I which mean, is that, it's it's yeah.
2: hard to even talk about this stuff to be it, well without it, making it, it sound it, like you yourself are right. are. Part of well, I'll just issue. say those are
0: attitudes and and phrases that I'm you know quite familiar with because oh, yeah. I've I've heard them voiced by people again near and dear to me that I just have to say no we we really have to find our way to a better place than to summarize it that way so but but those attitudes are still out there and and that's <laughs> go back to my Facebook group we that's some of the stuff yeah. we want to talk about there sure
1: but I guess my point is you know. What I don't get is, you know, I grew up in the same town as these people, and if you take, if you take the chunk that probably, that definitely still have uh, less than gracious attitudes about people who are different from themselves, I I always think to myself, you know, I grew up the same area you did, and I got it. You know, why didn't you get it? You know, that that you aren't the only people on the face of the earth right
0: i think those are very probing and and and, yeah. and for some folks very challenging questions and i guess it's just part of the ongoing dialogue uh, I like to think of it as a dialogue more than a debate because it's not about you know convincing anybody that i'm right and they're wrong it's just about let's let's really get in touch with the the common humanity that we share and the mutual struggles that are you know that are very similar to each other. Whatever the pigment of your skin, whatever language you speak, uh, even even in societies that are in so many ways as different from our particular circles, whether it's you know the the you know the tribal uh, you know mountain villages of, of remote India or the down home folksy farm country or the you know the. You know the bigger cities. You know the the housing projects in Houston. That you know the African Americans and the the, uh, the Asian refugees are kind of tussling over. I mean, we're all going through so many different you know struggles and trans, transitions in life, and and the emotions and the feelings, the the disappointments and the joys and the triumphs that we experience, really do have those common threads. and And the more we can learn to. You know, sympathize and appreciate what's going on with each other, and and the less we view our fellow humans as 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 rivals who are scrambling to get a bigger piece of the pie than we get. I mean, that's just such a, a, a destructive and and a degrading way of, of thinking and and viewing. You know, our fellow inhabitants of this planet, and, and I guess I feel like you know, Miles films while he's kind of just you know for the most part stepping back and letting the camera do the work and letting the people speak their piece the way he puts it together and the way he kind of positions and, and frames the issues I, I think he draws us to very humane conclusions uh, human all too human I guess to 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 use one of the titles of, of the film yeah, we've been talking yeah. about here is to really just you know set your prejudices aside and and turn your eyes towards what might have been a blind spot and and just really see what's going on uh, in the face and and coming from the mouths of the people that are not all that far from you when it gets right down to it. So, yeah, I I mean, I love these films and I I do feel, you know, your your thought expressed earlier, Keith, about Mao the documentarian, is is this maybe his greatest contribution? And perhaps I, I, I can definitely agree with that because, these seem much more unique than even very stylishly made, you know, thrillers or you know, quasi new wave, uh, you know, feature films, uh, comedies, suspense dramas, uh, character studies. This this is a, there's a reality here, and and that is something that <laughs> uh, you don't always see captured quite so poignantly on film as we do in this collection.
1: Yeah, as a fiction filmmaker, Louis Maul was is a. Very, you know, an extremely good example of that type of filmmaker. And to me, as a documentarian, um, and, you know, I don't mean any of this to negate what he did in fiction features, but as a documentarian, I really think that he brought something completely new in himself to to the format. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I try I to think, mm-hmm. well, what about Truffaut or Godard? Could they go into people's homes and have these conversations? I, I don't see Godard doing anything like this, especially <laughs> boy. <Yeah>, yeah. <laughs> he get Talk punched in the face. Talk about reticence on the farm girl's uh, <laughs>
2: face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I've been thinking about that question since you kind of uh, brought it up, Keith. Which would I give up? It'd be hard to give up his fiction. You know, you'd have to oh, give yeah. up. You'd have to give up my dinner with Andre. And you know, for me, it would even be hard to give up something like Zazie. Um but I'm you're glad right. We don't have I, to make that choice, right? Exactly, right. we don't have to. But if, if if just going on the hypothesis, I you make you know these these films have been very convincing in their importance. They, they've probably touched me um, more deeply than many things I've watched this this full year, and they're they're powerful. They'll stick with me. They've made me think. They've made me they've made me kind of revisualize the world around me beyond just making me think about oh, that film was this or that, but made me go out in the morning and interact with people. And it's influencing me there. It's been a great, a, a great few weeks talking with you all about this. And yeah, I don't think I would give them up. I think that I would just say, well, I'll just have to 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 do without Zazie, maybe, you know, or something <laughs> like that. And again, I'm glad we don't have to make that choice, but but I'm I'm kind of on your side, maybe a little bit more hesitant. But you know, your thoughts on on um, on these films have, and some of them being some of the most significant films that you've you've seen. I I'm I, I'm getting there, you know, and, and they've been meaningful to me as well.
1: I'll put it this way: How about he would have been better served to make another documentary instead of making Black Moon and Crackers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll you've go got to earn there. a paycheck. In it. We, we can <laughs> give those up. I don't even need anything in return.
2: <laughs>
0: well, I'm definitely glad that Louis Malle and his, you know, unfortunately all too brief life. Again, he died in his early 60s, uh, still seeming at the height of his powers. Uh, yes. i sure with, with many more creative expressions in him that just uh, were never able to be fulfilled. Uh, we are quite privileged to have this uh, outstanding collection as part of the Eclipse series. As we've already said uh, in earlier episodes, these are available on the Filmstruck service as well. So if you want to follow along in these conversations but haven't quite plunked down the the dollars to bring that box home, uh, there are other outlets uh, that uh, make it available. So, yeah, so, Keith, any final thoughts as we kind of wrap up this uh, 51st episode of the Eclipse tour?
1: I am have been looking forward to this, uh, series of talks. I didn't realize it was going to be three a year ago, but I'm glad it was. I wish it was five now, um, five or three episodes that we got together to talk about these. Um, these have been, it's an overused word, uh, transformative for me. I will put uh, humane, Trump humane and God's country. Um, way up on a list somewhere of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Ones that really touched me, ones that really made uh, a difference in how I think about things. Not only in challenging how I think about things, but also in kind of um, walking in tandem with how I already do think about things. Um, That is not to say that the rest of them were not fantastic. They were. Um, I think it's very interesting... Uh, and I didn't even think of this until David you started talking about how we were going to tackle these that we you know in this set there are three very distinct um different types of documentaries uh that happen here with the french films the indian films and now the american films um you know kind of a happy accident probably on um, the way that turned out um, and just i ha- i have to say that um this makes me look at document documentary style of filmmaking a little bit different. I think that even as a, even as a, a format, um, it, it can get quite tiresome sometimes. Uh, the knock on, the knock on document documentaries is, you know, there's too many talking heads and if you get away from talking heads, then you're getting into reenactments, which I abhor. And, but I think Maul really did something here with you know, these are not talking heads. These are not people sitting in the studio perfectly lit and and giving their opinions on what, did, what does it all mean in Glencoe, Minnesota? What does it all mean in the Citron Factory? I mean it's it's a it's a mixture of direct cinema, it's a and a mixture of all types of documentary. And I have to say that um I, I can't put my finger on it, but of any Buddy's films that I've watched, and I love Errol Morris, and I love others of that ilk, um, Maul really was able to come up with the right mixture of uh, just the right mixture of how to do this. And and it really hits a sweet spot for me and probably is the type of documentary that I will hold everything else up to uh, from this point forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, the power of the images. I mean, we've we've spoken a lot about some of the themes that he strikes here, but really, there are just so many incredible moments in these films that our kind of narrative description or recollection of what kind of made a big impact on us is still just kind of a pale echo of just seeing these moments themselves and and where Mal uh, is able to get his cameras and the kind of the spontaneity of what he's able to capture. Uh, that's what makes these films very very rewatchable because stuff that sort of glides past you as you're sort of thinking about that previous scene that kind of got your you know intellectual gears kicking in uh, th- th- there's there's much more to be discovered than the first pass will show you I, I mean i can guarantee you that because you know there's so many ideas there's so many faces there's so many situations that he packs into these films uh, as he kind of you know explores different societies that uh yeah you'll have to come back to to glean the full value out of it. So again, this is a very uh eminently ownable set. Uh, of course I I'm, I'm pretty biased in favor of pretty much yes. all the eclipse sets, but this one here is just mm-hmm. loaded. You could almost literally write books about all the all the um well, just the 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 ideas and the implications and the and the kind of Kind of offspring of of, um, of concepts and and applications that that the different characters speaking uh, can kind of bring to our awareness. So, yeah, I guess I'm just giving this one a pretty big thumbs up. This is probably one of the best Eclipse series sets out there. Uh, I'll just kind of give it that verdict. How about you, Trevor?
2: I love what you just said about the images, David. It, it opened up a new thing I hadn't quite thought of or articulated. But you're right, beyond the ideas, beyond what we're thinking about, these films are incredibly cinematic in a, in the way that they create a, a distinct sense of place and time. <clears throat> Excuse me, a distinct sense of place and time that I want to, to spend, I want to go there again. You know, I I want to see these people again. I want to spend some time in that in the Citroen factory. I want to go back to India. I want to go back to Glencoe. Um, I I want to go and and uh, watch the Tour de France, not literally, but through these films again. I want to do that because they they've there's such a great sense of of just being pulled in and being a part of that world. And, you know, I think sometimes we think cinematic, you know, everyone's like, well, I I don't know, some of the Facebook conversations people get into about what it means to be cinematic is, is a little bit frustrating to me, because I think most people think you mean... Um, you know, like the Superman movies or something like he, he knows how to use the camera and throw it around and make super big sounds. High
0: definition, you know, yeah. or, you know, kind of visual artistry and, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a Tarkovsky esque or Malick esque type of, uh, you know, which cinematic, is which is great. I mean, I love <laughs> yeah. that stuff. I have well, a nice and you're right. TV that's what for all usually, of that.
2: Yeah. But, that's what you usually get when you say cinematic is, is Terrence Malick's films are so cinematic because, you know, you can't do that with a still image, but but I I think of it a little differently. I think of its ability to evoke um, both time and space at this at the same moment. You know, the way that we experience the world, and these films do that, even though Mal is is far from you know swooping around and showing us the all of the images as as, as um, veiled by tree limbs and um, you know clouds and such. And, and agree, I agree. I love that stuff too, but uh, but this. This is a, a great experience that I'm not just glad I watched because I liked the, the ideas. I really liked being there, and I'm excited to go back again. And I, 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 I don't say that about all the films in the Eclipse set. I don't. I certainly don't say about all documentaries I see that kind of look like an essay, and that's great. They this convey is information, different. and they say, here's right. what's going on, or the, here's
0: what happened. And it's like, okay, I yeah. you know that now there's mm-hmm. something there's something warmer and deeper going on
2: here yep i agree so i i will just match your thumbs up and um you know just glad that we're we're doing this and i'm glad keith that you were able to join us it's been it's been fantastic to have you on
1: i'm going to miss uh, not doing it again next weekend this has been fantastic
2: I'm like well, glad we know each yeah. other online. So yes, we, we see will that. find other things to chat about. <laughs> oh <sure>. yes.
1: <laughs> well, I would like to just add one more Minnesota-centric uh, opinion as we wrap up here. That um, I'm sure that Louis Mal would have made a a very uh, poignant and directed um, documentary about. Uh, covered malls—that's that's what he came here to do in the first place. Uh, it's actually Southdale Mall, which is nice. was the first covered mall in the country. And to give you an idea of how many malls we have in Minnesota, that's only three miles from the Mall of America, so they're they're everywhere. And I am just so pleased that he was driven away by the Muzak and just went driving <laughs> around because yeah, because the story of <laughs> the story about Glencoe's people. Just, I think, um, really got at uh, things much more than just watching zombies walking around the mall. That's
0: right. We had Day of the Dead and we had uh, Kevin Smith's Mall Rats. So that (laughs) territory (laughs) has been covered, right? (laughs) Yep. All right. Well, gentlemen, I've really appreciated this conversation. Of course, Trevor, we've got several more episodes and sets to cover before we, uh, you know, draw this Eclipse Viewer thing to a close. But, Keith, I, I do appreciate that you've been part of Episodes 49, 50, and 51, kind of a very significant uh, passage for us here as we kind of pass that half-century mark of episodes here. Mm-hmm. And, again, this is the this is the big blockbuster of all the Eclipse series sets. So uh, really great to have you along to uh, help us absorb and digest and then uh, hopefully shed a little bit of light on what we found in our Explorations of Eclipse series number two. So for our next episode, uh, we will kind of take the rest of the uh, year off here as we're winding down in the latter half of December 2016. But we'll be back in January. Our current intentions are to get into Nikatsu Noir. So uh, that will be coming up uh, in several weeks. Uh, in the meantime, of course, Criterion Cast has... Uh, Pretty full schedule of year-end episodes: the Blu-ray upgrade wish list episode and the Best of 2016 conversations. Uh, the planning is underway amongst the uh, the head honchos here <laughs> at the Criterion Cast, and we'll be back. Uh, and I'm sure you'll be hearing some of our voices in those episodes in the next few weeks as well. So, listeners, thank you so much for your feedback for uh, joining in this uh, joining us on this journey through the Eclipse series. We look forward to. Bringing you down the home stretch in uh, the first half of 2017, and we'll see where things go from there. Thank you so much for listening, and we will all be talking to you soon. Bye bye. Diane
1: Jones, the singer of the band is from Trenton, New Jersey. How shall I call it? A simulation in reverse? This has to be the last paradox of my American voyage.
2: To all those I've pursued with my camera,
1: whether they ended up on the screen or not, I want to express my gratitude and my admiration.